Mr. Chairman, delegates to this convention, my fellow Americans, 16 years ago, I stood before this convention to accept your nomination as the running mate of one of the greatest Americans of our time or of any time, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eight years ago, I had the highest honor of accepting your nomination for President of the United States. Tonight, I again proudly accept that nomination for President of the United States. But I have news for you. This time, there's a difference. This time, we're going to win. We make history tonight, not for ourselves, but for the ages. The choice we make in 1968 will determine not only the future of America, but the future of peace and freedom in the world for the last third of the 20th century. And the question that we answer tonight, can America meet this great challenge? For a few moments, let us look at America. Let us listen to America to find the answer to that question. As we look at America, we see cities enveloped in smoke and flame. We hear sirens in the night. We see Americans dying on distant battlefields abroad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish, did we come all this way for this? Did American boys die in Normandy and Korea and in Valley Forge for this? Listen to the answer to those questions. It is another voice. It is a quiet voice in the tumult of the shouting. It is the voice of the great majority of Americans, the forgotten Americans, the non-shouters, the non-demonstrators. They're not racist or sick. They're not guilty of the crime that plagues the land. They are black and they are white. They're native-born and foreign-born. They're young and they're old. They work in America's factories. They run America's businesses. They serve in government. They provide most of the soldiers who died to keep us free. They give drive to the spirit of America. They give lift to the American dream. They give steel to the backbone of America. They're good people. They're decent people. They work and they save and they pay their taxes and they care. Like Theodore Roosevelt, they know that this country will not be a good place for any of us to live in unless it's a good place for all of us to live in. This I say, this I say to you tonight is the real voice of America.
in this year, 1968, this is the message it will broadcast to America and to the world. Let's never forget that despite her faults, America is a great nation. And America is great because her people are great. With Winston Churchill, we say, we have not journeyed all this way across the centuries, across the oceans, across the mountains, across the prairies, because we are made of sugar candy. America's in trouble today, not because her people have failed, but because her leaders have failed. And what America needs are leaders to match the greatness of her people. When the strongest nation in the world can be tied down for four years in a war in Vietnam with no end in sight, when the richest nation in the world can't manage its own economy, when the nation with the greatest tradition of the rule of law is plagued by unprecedented lawlessness, when a nation has been known for a century for equality of opportunity is torn by unprecedented racial violence, and when the President of the United States cannot travel abroad or to any major city at home without fear of a hostile demonstration, then it's time for new leadership for the United States of America. My fellow Americans, tonight I accept the challenge and the commitment to provide that new leadership for America, and I ask you to accept it with me. And let us accept this challenge not as a grim duty, but as an exciting adventure in which we are privileged to help a great nation realize its destiny. And let us begin by committing ourselves to the truth, to see it like it is and tell it like it is to find the truth, to speak the truth, and to live the truth. That's what we will do. Look at our problems abroad. Do you realize that we face the stark truth that we are worse off in every area of the world tonight than we were when President Eisenhower left office eight years ago? That's the record. And there is only one answer to such a record of failure, and that is a complete house-cleaning of those responsible for the failures on that record. The answer is a complete reappraisal of America's policies in every section of the world. We shall begin with Vietnam. We all hope in this room that there's a chance that current negotiations may bring an honorable end to that war. And we will say nothing during this campaign that might destroy that chance. But if the war is not ended, when the people choose in November, the choice will be clear. Here it is. For four years, this administration has had at its disposal the greatest military and economic advantage that one nation has ever had over another in a war in history. For four years, America's fighting men have set a record for courage and sacrifice unsurpassed in our history. For four years, this administration has had the support of the loyal opposition for the objective of seeking an honorable end to the struggle. Never has so much military and economic and diplomatic power been used so ineffectively. And if after all of this time and all of this sacrifice and all of this support, there is still no end in sight, 
Then I say the time has come for the American people to turn to new leadership not tied to the mistakes and the policies of the past. That is what we offer to America. And as we commit to new policies for America tonight, let me make one further pledge. For five years, hardly a day has gone by when we haven't read or heard a report of the American flag being spit on, an embassy being stoned, a library being burned, or an ambassador being insulted someplace in the world. And each incident reduced respect for the United States until the ultimate insult inevitably occurred. And I say to you tonight that when respect for the United States of America falls so low that a fourth-rate military power like North Korea will seize an American naval vessel in the high seas, it's time for new leadership to restore respect for the United States of America. America is a great nation. It is time we started to act like a great nation around the world. It's ironic to note, when we were a small nation, weak militarily and poor economically, America was respected. And the reason was that America stood for something more powerful than military strength or economic wealth. The American Revolution was a shining example of freedom and action which caught the imagination of the world and today too often America is an example to be avoided and not followed. A nation that can't keep the peace at home won't be trusted to keep the peace abroad. A president who isn't treated with respect at home will not be treated with respect abroad. A nation which can't manage its own economy can't tell others how to manage theirs. If we are to restore prestige and respect for America abroad the place to begin is at home in the United States of America. <laughs> My friends, we live in an age of revolution in America and in the world. And to find the answers to our problems, let us turn to a revolution a revolution that will never go old, the world's greatest continuing revolution, the American Revolution. The American Revolution was and is dedicated to progress, but our founders recognized that the first requisite of progress is order. Now there is no quarrel between progress and order because neither can exist without the other. So let us have order in America, not the order that suppresses dissent and discourages change, but the order which guarantees the right to dissent and provides the basis for peaceful change. And tonight it's time for some honest talk about the problem of order in the United States. Let us always respect, as I do, our courts and those who serve on them, but let us also recognize that some of our courts in their decisions have gone too far in weakening the peace forces as against the criminal forces in this country. And if we are to restore order and respect for law in this country, there's one place we're going to begin. We're going to have a new Attorney General of the United States of America. I pledge to you 
that our new Attorney General will be directed by the President of the United States to launch a war against organized crime in this country. I pledge to you that the new Attorney General of the United States will be an active belligerent against the loan sharks and the numbers racketeers that rob the urban poor in our cities. I pledge to you that the new Attorney General will open a new front against the filth peddlers and the narcotics peddlers who are corrupting the lives of the children of this country. Because, my friends, let this message come through clear from what I say tonight. Time is running out for the merchants of crime and corruption in American society. The wave of crime is not going to be the wave of the future in the United States of America. We shall reestablish freedom from fear in America so that America can take the lead in reestablishing freedom from fear in the world. And to those who say that law and order is the code word for racism, there and here is a reply. Our goal is justice, justice for every American. If we are to have respect for law in America, we must have laws that deserve respect. Just as we cannot have progress without order, we cannot have order without progress. And so as we commit to order tonight, let us commit to progress. And this brings me to the clearest choice among the great issues of this campaign. For the past five years, we have been deluged by government programs for the unemployed, programs for the cities, programs for the poor, and we have reaped from these programs an ugly harvest of frustration, violence, and failure across the land. And now our opponents will be offering more of the same, more billions for government jobs, government housing, government welfare, I say it's time to quit pouring billions of dollars into programs that have failed in the United States of America. We are a great nation, and we must never forget how we became great. America is a great nation today, not because of what government did for people, but because of what people did for themselves over 190 years in this country. So it is time to apply the lessons of the American Revolution to our present problem. Let us increase the wealth of America so that we can provide more generously for the aged and for the needy and for all those who cannot help themselves. But for those who are able to help themselves, what we need are not more millions on welfare rolls, but more millions on payrolls in the United States of America. Instead of government jobs, and government housing and government welfare. Let government use its tax and credit policies to enlist in this battle the greatest engine of progress ever developed in the history of man, American private enterprise. Let us enlist in this great cause the millions of Americans in volunteer organizations who will bring a dedication to this task that no amount of money can ever buy. And let us build bridges, my friends, build bridges to human dignity across that gulf that separates black America from white America.
We make great history tonight. We do not fire a shot heard round the world, but we shall light the lamp of hope in millions of homes across this land in which there is no hope today. And that great light shining out from America will again become a beacon of hope for all those in the world who seek freedom and opportunity. My fellow Americans, I believe that historians will recall that 1968 marked the beginning of the American generation in world history. Just to be alive in America, just to be alive at this time is an experience unparalleled in history. Here's where the action is. Think, 32 years from now, most of Americans living today will celebrate a new year that comes once in a thousand years. Eight years from now, in the second term of the next president, we will celebrate the 200th anniversary of the American Revolution. And by our decision in this election, we, all of us here, all of you listening on television and radio, we will determine what kind of nation America will be on its 200th birthday. We will determine what kind of a world America will live in in the year 2000. This is the kind of a day I see for America on that glorious fourth, eight years from now. I see a day when Americans are once again proud of their flag, when once again at home and abroad it is honored as the world's greatest symbol of liberty and justice. I see a day when the President of the United States is respected and his office is honored because it is worthy of respect and worthy of honor. I see a day when every child in this land, regardless of his background, has a chance for the best education that our wisdom and schools can provide and an equal chance to go just as high as his talents will take him. I see a day when life in rural America attracts people to the country rather than driving them away. I see a day when we can look back on massive breakthroughs in solving the problems of slums and pollution and traffic which are choking our cities to death. I see a day when our senior citizens and millions of others can plan for the future with the assurance that their government is not going to rob them of their savings by destroying the value of their dollars. I see a day when we will again have freedom from fear in America and freedom from fear in the world. I see a day when our nation is at peace and the world is at peace and everyone on earth, those who hope, those who aspire, those who crave liberty will look to America as a shining example of hope realized and dreams achieved. My fellow Americans, this is the cause I ask you to vote for. This is the cause I asked you to work for. This is the cause I asked you to commit to, not just for victory in November, but beyond that into a new administration. Because the time when one man or a few leaders could save America is gone. We need tonight nothing less than the total commitment and the total mobilization of the American people if we are to succeed. Government can pass laws, but respect for law can come only from people who take the law into their hearts and their minds and not into their hands. Government,
government can provide opportunity, but opportunity means nothing unless people are prepared to seize it. A president can ask for reconciliation in the racial conflict that divides Americans, but reconciliation comes only from the hearts of people. And tonight, therefore, as we make this commitment, let us look into our hearts and let us look down into the faces of our children. Is there anything in the world that should stand in their way? None of the old hatreds mean anything when you look down into the faces of our children. In their faces is our hope, our love, and our courage. Tonight I see the face of a child. He lives in a great city. He's black or he's white. He's Mexican, Italian, Polish. None of that matters. What matters? He's an American child. That child in that great city is more important than any politician's promise. He is America. He is a poet. He's a scientist. He's a great teacher. He's a proud craftsman. He's everything we ever hoped to be and everything we can't dare to dream to be. He sleeps the sleep of childhood and he dreams the dreams of a child. And yet when he awakens, he awakens to a living nightmare of poverty neglect and despair. He fails in school. He ends up on welfare. For him, the American system is one that feeds his stomach and starves his soul. It breaks his heart. And in the end, it may take his life on some distant battlefield. To millions of children in this rich land, this is their prospect for the future. But this is only part of what I see in America. I see another child tonight. He hears the train go by at night and he dreams of faraway places where he'd like to go. Seems like an impossible dream. But he has helped on his journey through life. A father who had to go to work before he finished the sixth grade sacrificed everything he had so that his sons could go to college. A gentle Quaker mother with a passionate concern for peace quietly wept when he went to war, but she understood why he had to go. A great teacher, a remarkable football coach, an inspirational minister encouraged him on his way. A courageous wife and loyal children stood by him in victory and also in defeat. And in his chosen profession of politics, First there were scores, then hundreds, then thousands, and finally millions worked for his success. And tonight, he stands before you, nominated for President of the United States of America. just seen excerpts from Richard Nixon's speech in which he accepted the Republican nomination for President of the United States. <laughs>